Thanks for listening to the podcast from Gary Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning. We're in part three of our series, Advent Means, and today we'll be unpacking this third theme of Advent, which is the theme of joy. Advent means joy. And we'll be talking about this joy this morning from the book of 1 Peter. Now, when we think about joy, we're reminded that this is surely a theme of Christmas. Don't we greet one another with Merry Christmas? Isn't that how we greet one another? I wonder why we don't say Happy Christmas. I was, uh, we've got uh, a member of our church that is from Britain, and he caught me after the service, and he goes, we actually do say Happy Christmas in Britain. And I said, you shouldn't do that, because it's your own author, your own author, Charles Dickens, who started this whole thing. Did you realize that? This whole idea of saying Merry Christmas in the English-speaking world began with the book that he wrote, A Christmas Carol, published in 1843. That's where the whole idea of saying Merry Christmas. I think it's the only time we ever say Merry anything, Merry Christmas. It means to be full of joy. Except for old Ebenezer Scrooge, by the way. He just didn't have any joy at Christmas. You'll be remembering that when people try to get him to say Merry Christmas, the cynical Ebenezer would rudely reply, If I could work my will, everyone who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding. That's how he responded. But after the Christmas spirits came and affected his transformation, he finally was ready to heartily exchange the Merry Christmas wish to all. He would say this, he would say, I'm as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. I am as merry as a schoolboy. I am as giddy as a drunken man. A Merry Christmas to everybody. That's the change we see in old Scrooge. Dickens described the transformation like this. He says, it was a splendid laugh. It was a most illustrious laugh. The father of a long, long line of brilliant laughs. <laughs> When's the last time you laughed? When's the last time you had the joy that's promised at Christmas? Perhaps we have some Scrooges in the room today. When's the last time you felt this joy? According to psychologists, Americans miss more work, complain of more of a myriad of health problems, probably all related to clinical depression. Uh, America, the land where the pursuit of happiness is almost guaranteed in our founding fathers' documents, yet we're the people, the people of America, most filled with discouraged, depressed people, increasingly unhappy, maybe even especially so at Christmas. Why is everyone so discouraged? What's gone wrong with the promise given in Christ at his birth? As we are reminded, as we heard earlier from the book of Luke, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Where's the joy? Perhaps we're unhappy today because we've misunderstood the difference between joy and happiness. They are two distinctly different things. Just consider the word happiness for a second. The word happiness is based on favorable happenings. In other words, happiness is based on external circumstances happening in a favorable way. The word happiness has as its root the word hap, which means luck or chance. 
And so you're lucky if you're happy. But joy, that's a different matter. Joy comes from the Lord Jesus. Happiness is based on chance, but joy is based on Christ. Do you have that joy that comes from Christ? This Advent season is a time for us to slow down and remember that Jesus has come. He is coming again. And our joy, true joy, can be found in Him. And today we're going to be looking at the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. And in the book of 1 Peter, Peter wrote to those, those believers in Asia Minor that had been dispersed there. And they'd gone through a season of suffering. And he says to them, you can find your true joy in Jesus. And I believe this word speaks to us today. We can find true joy in Jesus. And as we look at the text today, I think we'll see three ways we can find our true joy in Christ Jesus. So let's look. We'll read together. Then we'll unpack it. Verse 3. We'll begin there of chapter 1 in 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe him in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and fill with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is God's Word. We're looking for three ways that we can have this, we can find this true joy in Christ Jesus. Here's the first, by rejoicing in our security in Christ. Rejoicing in our security. First, take note of the word rejoice. It's in our text twice, verse 6 and verse 8. If you're a note taker, circle that in your, in your bulletin. The word rejoice is in there twice. The word joy is in there in verse 8. Rejoice in joy. And so Peter says, rejoice how? He says, first of all, rejoice in this. That's what he says in verse 6. Rejoice in this. What, what's this? Well, that's pointing to verses 3 through 5. So we have to go back and look. What's Peter telling us to rejoice in? What's the Word of God telling us to rejoice in? He goes, rejoice in this, and then he gives us these two ways that we're secure. First of all, he says, our inheritance is kept in heaven for you. That word kept has the idea of to preserve, to maintain, to, to stand guard over, to put it in a safe and lock it up. Uh, your inheritance is kept. And then he says, you, and you see that, make sure you see that. We're looking at verse 5 here. He goes, he goes, kept in heaven for you, speaking of the inheritance, who by God's power, who's, who's who? Who is you? <laughs> You that have your inheritance kept in heaven, you are the ones who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation. So not only is he standing guard over your inheritance, he's standing guard over you. You can be secure. In a day and age when security 
is not the word of the, of the hour. In a day when people feel insecure, in a day as we approach Christmas, that maybe that's the way you feel in your family. Maybe you feel insecure today. And when you feel insecure, when you feel like, man, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. That'll, that'll steal your joy. That's a joy thief. When you feel lack of security, you'll feel a lack of joy. When you fear what's going to happen, what's going to happen tomorrow, you fear that you can't put food on the table, you can't pay your mortgage, you fear something that the doctors told you, you fear facing Christmas perhaps for the first time this year because there's an empty seat at the table that wasn't empty last year, and so you don't have the joy that you would normally have because of a lack of security. Yet Peter says to us, the Word of God says to us, you can rejoice in this, that there's a place in heaven reserved for you, and no one can take your seat. And not only is it reserved, but you too are guarded in your salvation by faith. You are being guarded. There is security in Christ Jesus. Those that are in Christ, the book of Romans says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, we can have this joy that comes from being secure in Christ. What is this inheritance? Certainly it's that we inherit the kingdom of, of heaven. Certainly it's our eternal life that we inherit. But isn't it also all the glory and honor and praise that we share with Jesus for eternity? For we come into his presence and we experience his glory. It's this inheritance. And, and the, the, the writer Peter gives us three features of this inheritance. First of all, he says it's an imperishable inheritance. In other words, it, it doesn't have, uh, used by December 31st, it doesn't have a perishable date on it. That's, it's imperishable. It will never go bad. It, it will never perish. It's imperishable. And then it's undefiled, uh, which means unsoiled, pure, without defect. It's not defiled. It's perfect. And then finally, he says it's unfading. Uh, another way of saying this, if you were talking about flowers, it's, it's, per, it's a perennial. It keeps on coming up and blooming year-round. It's, it's unfading. Uh, in fact, the Greek word uh, amarantos is where we get the word for the flowering plant called the amaranth plant, which is a perennial flower. And also, apparently I was reading about it, it's good for you to eat. And so it's this word unfading is where we get the name of the flower, the amaranth. He says that this inheritance that you have, God is keeping it, and He's keeping it unblemished, undefiled, and unfading for you. And not only that, He's keeping you too. Oh, you friends, listen, you can have security in Christ Jesus. This is why we read in John chapter 15, and this is Jesus speaking to His disciples. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, notice that, my joy, not the world's joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, this joy that Christ promises comes out of abiding in Christ, having Christ living in you and you living in Christ. This joy comes. See, joy is an emotion, isn't it? It's not a thing, it's a feeling. And where does it come from? Here's what Jesus is saying. His brand of joy, he says, my joy doesn't come from the world. It comes from abiding in me, abiding in Christ. 
He warns against treasuring the things of the world. In fact, he tells us if we treasure the things of the world, it'll steal your joy. And here's what he says in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in, on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are you treasuring today? Are you treasuring those things of the world that are defiled, perishable, fading? Or are you treasuring Christ? Treasure Christ. He'll never let you down. And your joy will be indomitable. It'll always be in Jesus. And how do we grow in this joy? By not hitching our happiness to the world. The minute you hitch your happiness to the world, you've now staked your happiness on external things and you've now entered into the roller coaster ride of life up one day and down the next. But in Christ, we can stand on the rock of His joy. We can abide in Him. When you hitch your happiness to the world, then you find yourself depending on perishable, defiled, and fading things. I was reading in Morningstar uh, 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 magazine, it's on Morningstar.com, they were talking about retirees these days and, and how they're worried about things and not happy. Here's a quote from the article. It says, recent retirees are grappling with the triple threat of a losing stock market, declining bond prices, and high inflation. This has shrunk their retirement nest eggs and reduced their spending power just as they are embarking on retirement. And so we see more and more older people working past their 60s, past their 70s, even into their 80s, and not because they just love working. Sometimes it's because of that, but today it's often because of the financial crisis in our world today. They just have to keep working to keep on living. It makes people feel insecure. And maybe you feel insecure today. And if you're worried, anxiety is an enemy of joy. It's a thief. If you're focusing on worldly things, know this, that your happiness will always go up and down. Therefore, focus on Jesus. Because when we abide in Jesus and He abides in us, we can find the security that He alone gives. And therefore, we can rejoice in Him. Here is the second way. We said we can rejoice in our security in Christ, and here's the second way. We can rejoice uh, in our sanctification in Christ, in our sanctification and in Christ. You can almost hear the first century believers saying to Peter, okay, we know this. We know our joy is in Christ. We know that we can't find our joy in the world, but listen, we're going through a lot of trouble. I mean, we know Jesus is coming again, and, and he's, got, he's got heaven for us, and He's keeping us. We know that, but it hurts down here. There's a lot of suffering down here, Peter. He, it's almost as if Peter anticipates their objection. And so he offers this in verses 6 and 7. He keeps going. He goes, in this you rejoice. Well, we've already talked about that. But now he talks about the here and now. He goes, though now for a little while. Oh, so... So one of the features of this season of trial that we live in today, this season of difficulty, of suffering, first of all, it's temporary. Peter says it's a little while. You see that? 
a little while. That helps me. Does that help you a little bit? Like, this is only going to hurt for a little while. It's good to know that things won't hurt forever. Like, there's a beginning and a middle and an end to this season of difficulty. That helps me. Now, I need a little more. Come on, Peter, you got any more? I need a little more because my joy is not quite there. I mean, like, I got some joy knowing that it won't last forever, that it's going to only last for a little while. But then he, he makes this, it's, it's kind of difficult to understand. In, in this, you rejoice, though, now for a little while, if necessary. That's a strange turn of phrase. If necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. In other words, Peter, are you saying that sometimes it's necessary for us to be grieved by various trials? You mean sometimes it's that these trials are not only temporary, they're necessary? <sighs> you mean there has to be labor before there's a baby? <laughs> you mean there has to be suffering before there's sanctification? Uh, there's a necessity of grieving. And then he explains why. He doesn't just leave us there. It's helpful to me to know this, that if I'm going through trouble, it's temporary, but also it has a purpose. And if I know it has a purpose, then I can focus on the joy that when I come out on the other side, I will be closer to Jesus as a result of the trial. You see, because anytime you face suffering, you always have a determination to make. You can decide to be bitter or better. You, it, if you decide to focus on the trial, you'll get bitter. You'll get angry. But if you decide to focus on Jesus through the trial, he will sanctify you. Now, what does the word sanctification mean? It means to become holy, to become like Jesus. It means to become a saint. Now, when you receive Jesus, you're already counted a saint. You're already justified. But a process begins in your salvation, making you more like Jesus so that more and more you're becoming like him. And one of the necessary ways that he molds us and makes us more like Jesus is he uses trials, which will grieve us. But it will cause joy on the other side as we focus on Jesus, who was also aggrieved for our salvation. We're becoming like Jesus. And the object of this is that our faith would be tested and found genuine. It would be proven. And so Peter seems to be using a metaphor here of a goldsmith who they would bring in ore, and it would be in a raw form, and he would heat it until it melted, and the impurities would rise to the top, and he would slough that off until what was remaining was pure gold. Or if there was nothing remaining, there's no gold. And so here the metaphor says, if you go through a trial and it steals your faith, then you never had a genuine faith. But if you go through trial and you come out on the other side like gold, oh yeah, it hurt. It grieved you. It was... It was fire, but you come out like gold on the other side. Then you had a genuine faith. It's been proven. I don't know what you're going through this morning, my Christian brother, my Christian sister. But would you, would you join with James who says this in, in, in the book of James? He says this, count it all joy. James chapter 1. Count it all. That's an accounting term. I know these trials look like they belong in the liability column, 
James says, but here's what I want you to do. By faith, I want you to put them in the joy column, in the asset column. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face, uh, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Here's what he's saying. God often uses trials, if necessary, to test your faith so that you're becoming more like Jesus, your faith becomes more and more golden, more and more like Him. And so count that joy, knowing that God's at work in your life. In his book, The Practice of the Presence of God, Brother Lawrence, a monk who lived for 50 years in a monastery in the 1600s, wrote a book that's been translated into dozens and dozens of languages in the English translation, here are some of the quotes that Brother Lawrence talks about as he speaks about how to practice the presence of Jesus in this world today. Here are some quotes. He says, If we renounce ourselves, we'll know unspeakable joy. Always turn to Jesus, asking Him for His grace, for He makes everything easy. Give yourself completely to Jesus. Abandon yourself to Jesus. Find joy in doing His will in all circumstances. Suffering and joy are often synonymous to someone yielded to God. Ground yourself in God's presence by continually conversing with Him. Nourish your soul by focusing your mind on God's glory. Accept the joy that comes from spending time with Jesus. Some advice from a 16th century monk named Brother Lawrence. Practicing the presence of walking and living and abiding in Jesus. For there is our joy and our sanctification. And so, if necessary, you might be going through trouble today. It'll be different for each of us. Because what's necessary for me might not be necessary for you. My mama used to say I was hard-headed, and I think she was right. And so if you're hard-headed like me, it might be necessary for you to grieve more in order to be more like Jesus. And so the flesh is burnt off, carved away, removed from you, so that what remains is less of you and more of Jesus. For this is God's will for you. Now for you, it might not be necessary. You might be one of those sweet people, not hard-headed. And it might not be as necessary, but there'll still be grief. There'll still be trouble. And if you believe in Jesus, you can know this. He always guards you. He always cares for you. And if there's trouble, it has purpose. For we live under His care. In this we can have joy. And now this leads us to the third, the third way that we can rejoice and find true joy in Jesus. It's by rejoicing in our splendor in Christ. Our splendor in Christ. I want you to notice the word glory. It's in here a couple of times, but especially you might find it down there in verse 8. Uh, I think it's verse 8. Let me look and make sure. Yes. Uh, it's verse 7, actually, and, and again in verse 8. But in verse 8 it says, Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. 
That word glory could be translated splendor, beauty, light. It's a beautiful word. And he speaks of the future advent of Jesus. You can see the word revelation is in our text twice today. It has the idea of pulling back the veil and so that you see that which has been hidden. We live in an age right now where Peter says, he says to the believers up there in Asia Minor, and he says to us, though you have not seen him. Have you seen him? No. Were you there at the cradle when he was born in Bethlehem with the shepherds and the angels? No. We read about it, but we weren't there. We didn't see it. You have not seen him. Were you there at the cross? When he was crucified for our sins? No, we read about it, but we've not seen him. And Peter saw him, but he's talking to us, and he's talking to the people in Asia Minor as he writes this letter. And he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. How about that? Though you do not now see him, because we don't see him right now, we don't see his coming yet, do we? We live in between the two advents. We didn't see him, and we don't see him now. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. Do you believe in Him? Do you love Him even though you haven't seen Him? Let me ask a question to, to the moms for just a second. You've had children. You've had. Do you remember your pregnancy? And do you remember those first few little flutters in the womb, those little kicks and flutters? Let me ask you, here's the question. Did you love your unborn child? before you saw him, before you saw her? Did you already love her? Did you already love him before you ever saw him? Why? Did you believe? Did you have joy? Did you love? Even though you had not yet seen the child? What is that? I remember laying in bed at night with my wife. I'm a man, so I can't know what women know, the gift of a child within but I know this, sometimes my wife would shake me awake at night and say, put your hand right here. And I would put my hand over there, and there'd be like a foot sticking out, you know. And she'd go, I, I need to get the baby over. I can't sleep. And so I would rub that spot, and then sometimes that little foot would not move, so I would lean in close, and I would say, I am your father. <laughs> Let your mother and I sleep. <laughs> You think I'm kidding. Ask my wife about it. I, I used to do that. All of our babies came out and immediately recognized my voice. As soon as I, I still remember my second board, Jonathan, and we've got a Polaroid photo of me holding him. And, and he was crying. He'd just been born. And I said, boy, I'm your father. And he went, like that. <laughs> I've been hearing that voice for a while. May I say to you, even as a dad, even though I couldn't perceive all the things that my wife perceived, even though I would not yet seen my children, I couldn't wait to see them because I already loved them. I already believed in them. I already expected them. And I already had an inexpressible joy that you can't put into words because that's what inexpressible means. It's this idea of not being able to utter a description of it. It's a joy that the world does not understand. Only members of the family understand the joy of loving the one we've not yet seen. Of believing in the one we don't even see now. Of having inexpressible joy with glory, even though we 
don't see him because we know he's coming. We know he's coming. And we're filled with glory and joy because of it. And he goes on to say, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You might look back up earlier we was talking about how when, uh, when you've been guarded and tested, he talks about how that when Jesus is first revealed in the last time, that by God's power uh, that you'll, you'll receive, I think it's in verse 7, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Is that praise and glory and honor for Jesus? No, it doesn't say for Jesus. It says at the appearing, at the revelation of Jesus. So who's that praise, glory, and honor for? It's for those of us that have loved Him and believed in Him and experienced inexpressible joy even though we have not yet seen Him. There comes a day when we will share in the praise, glory, and honor of Christ our King. We will experience it. So let the joy flow now. Let it flood our souls now. Because our joy is not based on the world. In the book of Jude we read, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, both now and forever. Amen. Know this joy that comes from Jesus. It's the only true place that you can find joy because this joy is not a place. It's not a circumstance. It's a person. It's Jesus. Do you remember the story in, in the book of Luke chapter 1 after this angel Gabriel had met with Mary and he said, here's a sign to you. Your relative Elizabeth is with, with child for six months now. She's in her sixth month. And so Mary believes and she runs off to visit Elizabeth and as she approaches Elizabeth, what happens within the womb of Elizabeth? Do you remember the story? Uh, there was John the Baptist. The man that would be John the Baptist was three months shy of being born. But already, as, G as, as Mary approaches with the baby Jesus within her womb, the Bible says that Elizabeth felt him leap within her womb with joy. Isn't that something? These two babies, this beautiful Word of God, it says, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she proclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. That's the kind of joy we're talking about. It's the kind of joy of a calf leaping from the stall. It's the kind of joy that calls for dancing, for turning your mourning into dancing, your grieving into great joy, because it's based on Jesus. We can find our security in Him. We can trust that He is sanctifying us in our trials, making us more like Jesus. And we can look forward to that day of splendor, of glory, that we will share with Him. Therefore, let us rejoice in this. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Jesus. 
He is our joy. If you're here this morning and you don't know that joy, but you want to, would you pray with me right now? Dear, dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've been living my life based on my own effort. But I'm so tired. I'm so discouraged. I need you. I need your help. Would you come into my life? I believe you died on the cross for my sins, that you were raised from the grave, that you live today. Come and live in me. Forgive me of my sin and make me the person you want me to be. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and fill me with joy. If you're praying that prayer of faith, believing the Lord will forgive you of your sins and he will make you a child of God and you'll experience the joy of Jesus. Others are here today and you're a follower of Christ, but you're facing difficulty, you're facing trial. Would you just confess to the Lord right now? Would you say, Lord, I've taken my eyes off of you and I've been focusing on my circumstances. I've been looking at my troubles. I've been worrying. I've been anxious. I feel insecure. Lord, would you remind me right now that my joy is not found in this world, but it's found in you, Lord. I confess it to you right now. I recommit uh, my life to you now to focus on you, Jesus, as the source of all my joy and all my strength. In Jesus' name, amen.